As an immigrant, I understand the uniqueness of our challenges. We relocate to Canada for different reasons, but we all share one thing in common. We are looking for a better life. Unfortunately, that is not always the reality. My name is Paul Adeyeye. I am on a mission to provide you with the resources that will help you to succeed as an immigrant in Canada. On every episode of the Thriving Immigrant Podcast, we will learn from successful immigrants, entrepreneurs will be sharing their stories, their wins, and lessons so we can learn from them. We will also touch on money management topics such as credit score management, budgeting, and much more. Let's get to it. Cheers to a life of abundance. Hello, thank you for joining the Thriving Immigrant Podcast. I'm so excited about this particular episode because I have a special guest in the room. And my guest is someone that I really respect and I admire. I've been following him on Twitter and Instagram for quite a while. And he has done so much work for the community, for immigrants and for Canadians. If you are an immigrant and you are and you are active on social media, you must have come across one or two of his posts. My guest is a doctoral research fellow at the University of Saskatchewan and obtained his master's degree from the same university. He's a public servant and policy analyst in Canada. His specialization is at the intersection of public policy, immigration, and capacity building for newcomers and other underrepresented groups in Canada. is a recipient of different academic awards and scholarships from the Government of Canada, the Government of Saskatchewan, and the University of Saskatchewan. He has also worked on multiple projects funded by the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the Government of Alberta, the Region of Waterloo, the World Bank, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, and the Center for Forensic Behavioral Science and Justice Studies. I'm sure for those of you that are guessing, my guest is Mr. Olu, popularly known as Olu of Canada, Mr. Olu Femiloye. Thank you so much, Olu, for joining. We are so glad to have you on the call. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me today. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you some questions. And my first question will be, when was the first time you heard about Canada? And can you share a little bit about your immigration journey? And the reason I'm asking this is, it looks like you know so much about <laughs> Canada. And I just want to understand or learn, hear your story. I mean, um, I think my, my journey to Canada started in 2014. Um, I first heard about the University of Saskatchewan. No, not the university itself. The province of Saskatchewan on a radio station in Ibadan. So a little bit of backstory. I went to university in Nigeria. I went to Obafemi Awolo University. I uh, did my first degree there. And after then, I uh, started working in Ibadan. I was just listening to this radio station that day, and they were talking about 
the provinces, they were looking for people in Canada, they were looking for people to come and work and all that. And they were mentioning Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and all that, uh, all those places. Back then, never knew that it would be possible for another country to come to Nigeria and recruit you and come to Canada to work. So I was like, okay, maybe this is not meant for me, but I'm sure they probably have some opportunities for people who want to come and study there as well. And that's one thing I tell people when you um, hear one information or read something, try to tailor it to your own situation, do additional research and see what you can get out of that. Because that was what I did then. Went on Google, did a search of the universities that are available in the province of Saskatchewan. So University of Saskatchewan, University of Regina, and other schools, and took things further from then, from there. I uh, started looking at the programs I'm interested in, the requirements, whether I am eligible or not, when do I need to apply, when will I start my program, and all that. In total, it took me about one year um, from the time I knew about uh, the university and the opportunities to even apply. So I knew about that in January 2014, and I made an application to the University of Saskatchewan in December 2014 for a program that would start in August or September 2015, and kind of like just took things from there. So my immigration journey uh, in Canada started from being an international student myself, uh, from being an international student to moving directly to permanent residency and also becoming a Canadian citizen. It's been a long journey. Came to Canada August 2015. It's it's eight years this year. We're grateful to God for how far we've come. Wow, that's a very beautiful story. And thank you for sharing. Interestingly, I also attended OAU. But that's my, I did my master's, my MBA at OAU. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is one, I would say, the most respected university in Nigeria. But most people may not agree. But... <laughs> right. I'm, I, I love that you said you, you, you heard about Canada on the radio and you just started making moves and you applied and here you are. Because I can imagine that in 2014, I'm sure technology was not this big. Maybe there were some paperwork you had to do. Did you mm-hmm. do anything online? Yes. Um, so applications then were still done online, but back then we had to send um physical copies of transcripts to the university. So you had to like go to your university and pay for career services and transcript and send that. Also, back then, information about travel to Canada. The opportunities, you know, they are not things you find on like social media back then. Right. Nobody was making thread on Twitter or post on Instagram about like the opportunities, the schools and all that. So it was a try and error, try and error kind of thing. You know, we try this. We hope it works out. We send emails to supervisors. We hope they take us, you know, and God just said, you know, when it's time, it's time. Things worked out perfectly. Oh, wow. I can imagine applying and doing some of those paperwork manually. But congratulations. I, I really love your journey. And here you are now with your Canadian passport. Because some of the, sometimes I see your post, you are in, maybe in US today. You are really, <laughs> you are really enjoying the passport. Mm-hmm. So congrats. Thank you.
Now you moved to Canada in August 2015. What was the first day like? Do you have any memory of the first day? Were you excited or were you? I, I remember very well. I was confused, very very confused because I had a lot of questions in my head. Um, the province I was going to, Saskatchewan, I did not even know how to pronounce the name of the province until I got to Canada. <laughs> I did not know anyone in the province. I do not at at the time. I had no family members in Canada. I had about two or three distant friends. Two of them were in Ontario, people I have probably not spoken to in like six years. And I had another very close friend living in Newfoundland at the time. Nobody in Saskatchewan, nobody to pick me up from the airport, nobody to say welcome to Canada and all that. So I was really, really confused. And if you're familiar with the journey from like Nigeria to Canada, it's it's a long flight, a long you one, layover and all that. I got to Toronto Pearson Airport because I came in through Toronto, and would take another flight from Toronto to Saskatoon, where the University of Saskatchewan is. And I found that they they even lost my luggage, so the airline lost my luggage. I was meant to pick it up and recheck it in for the local flight, and they couldn't find my bags, so. That kind of like complicated things for me because I had virtually everything. I only had one clothes on. I had a backpack, backpack with my documents, nothing. Um, if I couldn't find my luggage, uh, so I waited at the airport. Missed the first flight. Missed the second one. Missed the third one. Until because I came in like I think like seven a.m. in the morning, and I didn't leave until like maybe four p.m. in the evening that day because. Yeah, I kept waiting to see maybe the bags would come out, and it didn't come. So at the end of the day, I headed. Um, I ended up speaking with like um, airport officials. They asked for my address, where they could send it to. I had no address. They had for my asked for my phone number. I had no phone number. So um, at the end of the day, they gave me a form to fill and provided my email and told me when they find the bag, they will send it to send me an email. And they send the bag to the local airport in in Saskatoon, so I could go pick it up from there. Took about two weeks before the bags came, and I got the email and I I got my uh, luggage and my belongings back. So the first day, remember very well, very confused, had a lot of questions in my mind, so many things about how will I navigate the process in Canada. But people have been so helpful. Um, met a lot of people when I got to Saskatoon. I was so surprised. The immigrant community there at that time was even very big. You know, I saw Nigerians, other people from other parts of the world, other African countries. At the University of Saskatchewan, they had a Nigerian Student Association. They had a, an African Student Association. In the city, they had a Nigerian Saskatoon community or something like that association as well. And all of those associations have always been of help. They were critical to my uh, settling in and integration into the community there. Oh, wow. What a first day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can imagine how challenging that must have been for you. Well, I'm happy you found your, you found your bags even after two weeks. And here you are now with multiple bags. <laughs> Thank you. Right. So... Being an immigrant in Canada can be challenging. Like apart from those first two weeks challenges that you faced, what were some 
what were some of the obstacles that you faced and how did you overcome them in your first maybe first six months or first year in Canada? Uh-huh. Um I think no, one of the challenges, the weather, the first one that eats me, like really eats me was the weather. Um, August is still fall in Canada, but you find out the weather would be like 15 degrees in some places. I was coming from like 30 something degrees where it was smoky hot. I remember when I got to Toronto, people were wearing shorts and all that, and I was still shivering under 15 degrees. And I was speaking with someone at the airport, like, and they were asking me, where are you going to? And I was like, I'm going to Saskatchewan. And they're like, wow, the weather goes as like low as minus 30, minus 40 over there. And I was so confused. Like, how do people live in minus 20s, minus 30 weather? Um, So the weather was a big challenge. Um, But I mean, gradually, we adjusted to things uh, over there. Um, you meet with people, they give you advice, information on how to uh, stay warm, the kind of like layerings of clothes you need to wear and all those kind of things. And that was quite helpful. Also, the academic system in Canada is quite different from what I was used to back home in Nigeria. Um, I was doing my master's degree and even when I was taking classes for my PhD, the classes are self-styled classes. The professor will come to class maybe the first two lectures and say, going forward, all of you, the classes are distributed to you. You'll be the one to prepare, to lecture, to, you know, do all those things by yourself to your colleagues. You have discussion and all that. And it was so strange. I wasn't used to that. So it was quite challenging. The curriculum was also a bit different from like what we were used to back home. So struggled a little bit in the beginning, but we caught up so fast and we were able to make things work and also uh, complete our programs in the time that, you know, we needed to, in record time that we needed to like finish the program. One of the things that I've also found challenging in the past in Canada would be like, and this is something that is very, very common for a lot of like newcomers right now. Accommodation is a big issue right now. Um, if you come into Canada, back home in Nigeria, where I was living back then, we were not paying rent every month. Now you have to pay rent every month. I think it's just the general nature of the bills. You have to adjust to like the general nature of the billing system in Canada, paying rent every month. Even like renting houses, some, some landlords would ask you for like your credit um, score, you know, proof of employment, which a lot of newcomers would find challenging because they just don't have those things yet. Um, And that's why I felt a lot of people, in my own case, when I was coming, I rented an apartment with the university. So I usually advise international students, if you're coming and going to a city where you know nobody, if your school has official residence for students that you can rent in the time being, I ended up staying in university residence for like maybe just three or four months, but it helped me to settle in, to not be bothered about that, to integrate and then to start looking for houses um, like around. The big one for people who come in um, as permanent residents is also the job market. Because for us as international students, we knew back then our own primary purpose was to study. You could work part-time, but you know it's still student job. But think of a new immigrant, a permanent resident that is coming, that is leaving their job back home, 
and they need to start working in Canada. A lot of people really, really struggle. I was helpful for me. It wasn't really so much of a big challenge because I've studied in Canada. Even while I was studying, I was working part-time. I've built that network. I had an understanding of what the job market looks like. I had some Canadian work experience that were helpful, but those are like big things for people coming in as permanent resident. And I always tell people, you know, don't keep to yourself. The one thing you'll find that is very, very needed in a, in countries like Canada is knowing people, networking with people, telling people who have been there, done that, that have walked the paths you are working now about the challenges uh, you're experiencing so that they can share resources, information, insights, tips that would help you um, overcome some of those challenges. In addition to that, the government also provides some resources for newcomers. They have arrival resources. They have pre-arrival resources. They have funds that have been distributed to settlement agencies that you can find one around you. That's one thing a lot of people do not know. Those settlement agencies would help you to like redesign your resume, for instance, share tips for, to you on how uh, you can prepare for job interviews, the industries that are in demand. If you need to move to another industry, there are also resources to support reskilling or upskilling yourself so that you can build the capacities and the requisite skills that employers are looking for in Canada. So those would be like some of the things um, that new immigrants, newcomers should take note of uh, in uh, overcoming uh, some of those challenges with the weather, uh, the food, the job market, the educational system, even like the sense of belongingness, like feeling at home and coming to terms with the reality that this is now my new country. You need people on your side. Mm. You need to put yourself out there, find an association, find a community of people who like the same thing you like that you can um, be a part of and learn from those who have gone ahead of you to do some of those things you are interested in doing now. Well, thank you so much, Olu, for sharing all those all those stories and the challenges that you faced. And to be honest with you, I think most immigrants, we face those challenges. Okay. I remember when I came to Canada, the landlord, most of them did not even listen to me. And the okay. one that finally listened was asking for six months rent. Wow. And for someone that was coming in with Naira, converting Naira to dollars, right. and now paying six months, because I think I did my calculation there. What I was meant to pay for one month was what I was paying for one year in Lagos. Back home. Mm -hmm. It looked like I was going to pay six years rent <laughs> in Canada. And I think it's even getting worse right now because right. I've heard different stories of people having, of people having more than six months to pay, but they're still not getting places to stay. I saw that. one of one year. The person wanted to pay one year and still couldn't find. And that's in like, I think Toronto or something or Vancouver. Yeah. I can't remember right now. Yeah. That's a very big challenge right now. And I, I have this question I was going to ask you because you are a policy analyst. Uh -huh. and I'm sure right now you agree with me that there's a housing crisis in Canada. Cities like Toronto, Vancouver are not affordable for most Canadians. And how do you think this is affecting immigrants? And as a policy analyst, if you were in a position to advise the government, what would you tell them? 
I mean, as a matter of fact, I think immigrants are part of like the top victims of the housing situation in Canada, especially newcomers that are coming into the country. Like you said, sharing your own experience. Imagine having to bid with people that are already here that have, you know, credit score and employment, uh, evidence of employment that they can show. And for you, the only thing you can present is just the money. Okay, now I can pay one year or they're asking you to pay one year to even listen to you. That's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot of money. And, and I really, really empathize with a lot of like new immigrants that are going to places like uh, Toronto and all that. The number one thing I tell people is that if your job is not really in demand in those eyebrow cities like Toronto, Vancouver and the likes, you may want to consider other smaller cities uh, that you can get started from. Except like your job is in demand because even right now a lot of people do remote working. So if you even if you find a job and you can you're working remotely, you don't have to go into the office. You know maybe get started with living in a smaller city. If you want to stay in Toronto, for instance, the GTA is still there. There are also neighboring places like the region of Waterloo, Waterloo, Kitchener, Cambridge that are just like for the five minutes, one hour to Toronto. Even if you like like the Toronto social life and all that, that you can uh, work remotely from those places and still have the close proximity to Toronto. But in terms of like, how do we address some of those problems? The fact is that there are top reasons that are responsible for that. You know, it's a supply versus demand issue. You understand? The supply of housing the rate of construction of new houses versus the demand, the population that is growing, the demand for new houses is not matching up. And when there's little supply and there's high demand, you know, it makes prices go up. It makes right. it highly competitive. That is the number one. The supply factor is the number one thing the government needs to address. This is complicated by so many things like low construction workers, you know, bureaucracy, like getting permits, even the prices of like materials right now. But it's something that all governments at all levels need to be deliberate about and come together to find a solution to this. Immigrants are needed in the construction sector. I disagree with people who think it is immigration that is complicating the housing crisis. And I argue that even if Canada does not bring people in for one year, if those other factors are not addressed, the housing situation would still be there in places like Toronto and all that. You find out that a lot of like newcomers, immigrants work in these construction sectors where they can contribute to that. You understand? Yeah. And there needs to be incentive for those working in those industries to make more people want to work in those industries as well. Mm. You know, to support the construction effort. That's part of it. Affordability is also key. Even in places like Ontario, Toronto and the likes, if you find places, you find out that they are at this point too expensive for a lot of people. Even like um, Canadians that have lived there for some time. You want to rent a one-bedroom apartment in Toronto and they're saying go and bring 3000 go and bring three five. Please, how much do you want to make in a month that three five is going to rent a loan? You've not talked about other things, other taxes, other living expenses. It is a lot. Government needs to be more deliberate about 
investing in affordable housing right. for people, government at all levels, provincial, municipal, federal government. You know, one of the things I've also argued that could be a solution to this is the price control. Mm. You know, there needs to be deliberate legislations around price control that would make things affordable for people that want to rent houses. Because you can rent a place in, let's say, uh, Toronto today, and then tomorrow the landlord is saying they have a regulation that after certain years, if the house is built after certain years, the landlord, they have the discretion to like raise rents at any time and all that. Granted, the interest rate is so high right now. So even some people that are renewing their mortgage, they are paying higher interest and all that. But what about people that are not renewing mortgage, that are leveraging the fact that there's a high demand, there's low supply to increase rent. You know, there needs to be some legislations around that um, uh, as well. Increase in rental units so that we are not just building single family homes, you know, build rental units that have multiple units that people can rent out, uh, or rent, rent from landlords and all that. Fix those supply chain issues. Because one of the things that a lot of people have, have attributed to the low rate of construction is that, you know, supply chain issues, getting materials. If we have to start looking into local production of some of those building materials and providing fundings, funds or funding for, you know, people in those sectors or tax incentives that would encourage them to make those materials available, we need to look into that. Provide incentives to contractors, provide also incentives to newcomers to redistribute population so that when everybody's landing, they are not just thinking Toronto or Vancouver is the place they should be. You know, one of the things I was expecting from the category-based draws that um, came as part of the Express Entry PR program, I was expecting they did something for occupations that are in demand in about five sectors. They did for the French language. I was expecting they would do something for um, to redistribute population to certain provinces. Hmm. We have the provincial nominee programs that are exclusively at the discretion of provinces. But what about like federal people that are coming through the federal skilled worker programs of express entry? What incentives can we give to people? Because if you look at the population, um, immigration distribution of like top provinces that people are going to in Canada, you find out that top on the list, taking maybe about 50 or more than 50% of new PRs in Canada is Ontario. Yeah. And it's get, things are getting um, too overwhelming for resources, for things like people, houses in Ontario, in Toronto and the likes. What incentives can we give to people to also go to other provinces even if they are not provincial nominee uh, program applicants. Those are like some of the things I have thought of. And I'm hoping that now that there is a cabinet shuffle in Canada, we'll continue to see um, redirections in some of those places because this is an issue that needs to be tackled and tackled as soon as possible. Wow. Thank you so much, Olu. You said a whole lot in this one. And I, I agree with everything you said. Or two things that I, I think I'm taking out is the incentivization that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I agree that if you look at what has happened in the last three, four years, there has been a shift to the tech industry. Right. 
and even the healthcare sector some people are feeling like they are not getting what they deserve right and most people are thinking of, of in terms of pay and most people are thinking of new opportunities everyone is switching right. to tech everybody is working remotely and the economy cannot continue that way so not everybody will work remotely pilots cannot fly their plane remotely they have to work when right. i came to this country part of the fields i was considering i was because i came and i felt like this is a new ground let me just do whatever i think i can do right and i checked and i saw the and i saw the pay of pilots and i was like oh wow this guy don't really end that well exactly <laughs> don't end that well so and if you look at the construction industry like you mentioned it's a very critical industry right now and i agree with you that people that work in that industry should be well paid i don't know how much they are paying them right now but provide some incentives right and the weather in canada too doesn't support all year building you, exactly exactly so you only have like 4 to 5 months to build and yes. let that 5 months let it be well paid for mm -hmm. let people end well right. so you can tackle this is is a mess currently i know what people are going through it's, it's terrible in Ontario. In it, I think about two weeks ago, we we saw some refugees that they've been sleeping on the floor right. for weeks until it became a serious issue that people started sharing it on social media. <laughs>